Ladies and gentlemen, we are back with an episode of Documented. I am so excited for our guest today. We have really good speakers coming up. And today in particular, I want to introduce my friend, Sarah Stoll, formerly Bertinetti. I'm going to brag on her a little bit because she won't do this on herself. Do it. I met Sarah when I was 15, almost 16. I moved to Gallup, New Mexico with my dad. And when I first met Sarah, I actually remember what she was wearing. That's how much of an impression she made on me. She was, I think, 22. And she had this like bright red shirt on with like cut off sleeves and silver flames. Ooh. And she had a jean skirt and black boots. Bring it back. And then she had her hair in a million butterfly clips. And I just remember thinking, she is one of the prettiest people I've ever seen. And then she got up and she sang and she sang amazing. I remember my first time in church and she came up and said hi. And she became like this older sister figure for me, where it was like she was the older girl, you know, 22. And <laughs> I was in high school still. And she really helped me through high school. And I just remember sitting outside my house, talking to her until odd hours of the night and her just helping me through being a Christian in a public school. And we were in a skit team called the Chick Flicks because it was all girls. At that point, I felt like she was like my role model. And then a few years later, just different circumstances, we both ended up in Gallup again. And there was a very fast transition from that to becoming my best friend. And we became roommates. And, and the story she's telling today is very personal for me. I remember when it all came about. It was probably the first time that someone else's story was so close to my heart that I, I literally felt like it was happening to me. <laughs> so I'm excited to document it. And I love this girl and I can't wait for everyone to know her story because God's done a big miracle. And without further ado, boom, boom, boom. this is Sarah. Hi. <laughs> oh, Alyssa, that was very sweet. I'm, gonna be, I'm a little choked up over here. <laughs> That's okay. We always cry on this podcast. I know. It's, Get some it's tissues. <laughs> so Sarah, tell me a little bit about, just a little bit about yourself and lay the foundation so the audience knows who you are, how you came into church, and then how this situation of intervention kind of came about. My parents were in the Gallup Church before I was actually born. They were one of the first couples that were there. And and I grew up with a very good role model for marriage and for, for just good Christian couples. My parents are amazing people. My dad was on the council most of my life. And so I, I'm so grateful for them. I had, I had such a good example in that way. When I got into my 20s, I was feeling a little bit insecure because I didn't have, I wasn't the kind of girl who had guys just beating down the door. I didn't have very many guys approach me or talk to me and there was that panic that sets in like no one is ever going to love me kind of thing. And there was a family that had come back to Gallup. They lived in Gallup and came back to Gallup after pioneering and their son was my age. And so he was the church kid. I knew him. He was saved, in quotation marks, saved, but he he had some worldliness to him, and he was somewhat intriguing because of that, I guess, and I, I remember thinking, this guy is paying attention to me, and other guys really don't, so if God had someone else for me, surely there would be someone else that would be present, and there just really wasn't, and so, yeah, I started dating him, 
he was in the military and for a whole year we dated and wrote back and forth and I, like I said I kind of felt like I had no other options I guess coming mm-hmm. and so I was like well this must be what God has for me because no one else is around and this guy is actually interested in me so we were engaged he was in a very volatile situation he was actually infantry he was in the front lines had quite a bit going on during that time and there were times where I feel like I was trying to warn mm-hmm. would you care to share some of the things that God would kind of show you to warn you yes for one thing I remember talking with him about how I wanted to make it to heaven and I also wanted to take as many people with me as I possibly could and I remember him saying well I don't really care if I take anyone with me I just want to make it there and there had been a sermon recently at that at that point it was recent that was talking about how wives should not nag their husbands and so I, I remember thinking well that's not right but I'm gonna let God deal with him and I'm just gonna pray for him and see what God will do but it wasn't his wife, and that should have been like a huge red flag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was also having multiple nightmares just about all different kinds of things, you know, him unfaithful while he was gone, or, or I do remember one nightmare clearly that I got into a car accident and had some scars on my face and that he came back and was like, I can't love you like this, and broke up with me and stuff like that. So there was things underlying in my heart, even at that point, where I kind of knew something might be wrong, and it's very common to have cold feet before you get married, and so I attributed these warning signs to that, that I was just nervous and, like, wanted the guarantee when it wasn't possible, but it was more than that. It was warning signs, God trying desperately to get my attention, and I missed it. Kind of like a battle going on almost, too. Absolutely. That whole year was very tumultuous for me. I don't know. I don't. I feel like the whole, I was just stressed and like terrified all the time. In my heart, I was still not settled. And I remember on my wedding day, your sister Michelle asking me, Sarah, are you sure you want to do this? Because if you're not sure, I can't let you. I went ahead and we got married and we moved immediately more than a thousand miles away from my family, from my church, from everything that I knew. It was just him and I, and so things were okay for for a short time. Mm -hmm. But about nine or ten months into it, I found out that he was using drugs, and so being in the military, he'd gotten caught. Um, And I don't really know if he was using them before that and just not getting caught, but he get caught then. And so that was a huge impact on both of us, not just him, because when that happens, you lose your rank, your pay gets cut pretty drastically, and you have to work extra hours as punishment. Mm-hmm. So there was all that going on, and I remember thinking, oh boy, I hope this is a one-time deal. I'm sure he's learning his lesson. But unfortunately, you know, ad- addiction is not an easy taskmaster, and so it wasn't long until he was using regular again. And by the time that I knew he was using regularly, he had backslidden pretty completely, and, and so my whole world started to change. Are you still going to church at this time? Yes, at this point, I was really just holding on to what I knew. Even when I had married him, I, I didn't think that I was doing something that was displeasing to my my heart's desire was still to please God. So I was still in church. I had begun to suspect that. The decision that I made was 
a terrible one and a huge lapse in judgment on my part. Right. And so, How did you handle that? So, I mean, of course, I'm sure you're thinking, well, well, I'm married now. I have to work through this. First off, how did you kind of get through that? And then number two, what would like a normal day in your house look like? A normal day at this point, he's totally backslidden. So I, I would be going to church and he would be getting up and, you know, going, going to work, going on post. And then he was clubbing probably four nights a week. So he would go out to the clubs. He wouldn't come home till two o'clock in the morning, four o'clock, three, four o'clock. Because sometimes he would go out and eat afterwards. He would come home completely trashed, drunk, and and I, and I always had that. I always I was afraid always of who he might have been with or what, and didn't know. I was trying not to be just suspicious, but you know, club culture is very sensual, and so I couldn't. I just couldn't imagine him being there four nights a week with no company so I I was saved and I didn't believe in divorce at all and I couldn't prove that there was any sort of infidelity so it just was it was miserable it was it was like I spent many nights praying asking God for help during this time I had a couple of miscarriages which were also very difficult I we had been trying to have a baby for like two years and about time where things were starting to get really bad he kind of would get saved again for a very short period of time and then backslide again and so by the third time or so I was starting I was realizing he's not gonna serve God and so we had been trying to have a baby and I had just decided I probably would be a good idea for us to hold off on that and right at the time that I decided that I discovered that I was pregnant and um so I had lost two already, so I kind of thought, well, it's probably going to end up the same. And I was pregnant probably about six months or so. We had the revival with Pastor Eric on, and I remember him saying, you're going to have a baby, you need to come home. I was battling all alone. About that same time, he was getting out of the military, and so it was perfect timing for a transition. Pastor Artie is so amazing. He sent a couple of Chinley guys, and they helped me move because I was big and pregnant. They helped move our stuff. How many years was this going on before you guys made that move? From about nine months in all the way until our third year. On our third anniversary, I had discovered that there was real infidelity of at least two different times. And so I had forgiven him once, and then I discovered that there was more. And so it was, at this point, I was really kind of fed up. I remember laying on the floor in, in our apartment and just screaming out, crying out to God in, in the carpet and just asking God to help that I, I just needed some sort of some sort of help. Either I needed God to really get a hold of him or I needed help, I needed him to get me out basically. And I, I didn't have any idea how that was going to happen. Moving home to Gallup was one of the best decisions that we could have made. Do you think Pastor Artie could just sense it from you when he came for the revival? He, he told my parents that later. He said, he's going to leave her. You need to you need to get her home. Did Pastor Artie know about your situation? Not that I know, because even at that point, he was going, during the revival, he was going through a, a saved stint. Okay. So, like, he was he was there in church, like, okay. going to the revival. And he was looking about as good as he did, he ever. So for him to like pick up on that and and just feel like he was going to leave me was, yes, I 
believe it was God. Sean Pastor Artie's part. Just really awesome discernment. Was he receiving of the idea of going back to Gallup? Yeah, he. I I feel like he was kind of like indifferent. Like, sure, whatever that makes sense. He he didn't really he didn't really have a very strong opinion either way. It seemed like it had been months where he was out of the army and doing like side jobs and stuff. So I think he was looking for something else to do. And so it, it was a little bit appealing to him. So he didn't fight it at all. And now, were you hopeful for the marriage at this point? I am a believer in miracles, so I was hopeful for that. But I also know that God is not going to force anybody to be saved. And if someone loves their sin more than they love God, then God is not going to make them change if they don't want to. And so it was It was kind of a, it was a guarded hope, but it, it was there at that point. When I finally gave up on it was when I had had my, my daughter, Elaine, was born. We were back in Gallup. He was there for the birth, but two days after she was born, he, he wanted to go look for work. And he left, and we didn't hear from, from him for a week or more. And when he came back to Gallup, he just said, I met someone, and I want to see where it goes. And so by that point, I, I, my hope for the marriage was completely gone. That was the last straw. I was kind of just like, okay, I, I can't be what you need, apparently. So I'm, I'm all done hoping. My parents were there again for me. <laughs> mom was helping me with my new mom. They were such a huge blessing. My parents were a huge blessing. My dad was still the, the strong father figure that I was hoping that my, my girl could see. About that time, also, I was realizing that my dad was such a good father figure and such a good husband, and I wanted my daughter to have that. And I knew that if I had stayed with my husband at that point, that she would not. Even if the marriage were down, she was not going to have the example that I had, and that scared me a lot. So at that point, were you thinking you'd rather just raise her on your own than raise her with this man that wouldn't be a father? Absolutely, especially with the with the unfaithfulness. I right. wanted her to know that that was not okay. Mm-hmm. That even, that just trying to stay with someone to keep the marriage together when they're being unfaithful to you is not acceptable and that she should not expect that a man would do that to her and just ex- that she should accept it. Mm-hmm. I wanted her to know that there are men that are faithful and that will love you and take care of you. And I didn't want her to think, well, yeah, maybe there are sometimes, but my mom didn't get one. I didn't want that influence in her life at all. At that point, I, I waited a while. I actually was very grateful. Pastor Payne was there in Gallup, and I talked to him, and he, he would very wisely told me to just wait for a while. But there came a point where he had moved in with this other woman, and, you know, he kind of walked me through it about, you know, what what does Jesus say about marriage and stuff like that. And so by the time he had moved in with her and it had been a few months, he walked me through just the, the mind battle of actually being able to file for divorce and feeling like it was not sin on my part because he had been unfaithful and it was clear that he was unfaithful. So I filed for divorce and it took like 18 months, <laughs> a very long time to finalize I really listened to my pastor and did a lot with what he said, and it really worked out well. I was able to get custody of my daughter, full custody, and and just favor with the courts. 
Can you tell us some of the mind battles that you went through and how God helped you through them being a Christian and then having that D word affiliated with you and like some of the things that God helped you with? Yes, actually, there's two specific stories that really stick out in my mind. And the first one was while I was contemplating actually planning for divorce, I remember sitting in prayer at church. We were in revival with Steve Bowman and thinking, I am such a mess up. I, if, if I end up divorced, I will be such a failure as a Christian. And I didn't, I wasn't even really praying. I was just sitting in prayer. And that thought was coming through my, you know, these thoughts were going through my head. I didn't verbalize them in any way. I wasn't praying out loud. I wasn't, I just, I was sitting there and it was passing through my mind. And that night, Pastor Bowman called me out and all he said was, you're not a failure which sounds so generic to everybody who might be listening, but to me, he was speaking back the very words that had just crossed my mind. It was such an encouragement because I, I knew immediately that it was from God and that it was an answer. And the other time, I did go through with the divorce proceedings and stuff, but while I was going through it, I remember this time just sitting in my bedroom, my baby girl sleeping next to me and just sobbing, like tears just going down, my, rolling down my cheeks and asking God, how long is this going to hurt? Am I for, I, I, I'm just broken forever. And not really expecting an answer of any kind, just sort of sending the question out into the void. And the next day we started revival with Patrick Johnson. And again, he called me out and he said, I don't know what this said, but God told me to tell you that he's the God who heals you. And again, it sounded just generic, especially for the people who knew what I was going through. But to me, it was so much more than that. It was an actual response to a conversation that I had started the night before or with God. And it that actually a lot when I witnessed to people, God knows the innermost cry of your heart. You know, he heard me there in the dark with my baby girl scream, like sleeping next to me. He heard that. And, and that was, God really helped me, just assured me of his love. Even with that, I still felt kind of tainted and marked. But it was a huge encouragement to have that assurance that God knew my heart and knew that, you know, just, just didn't see me as a mess up. Yeah. Sarah was all but the princess of the Gallup Church, if we're being honest. <laughs> Seriously. She was, I don't know anyone that does not like Sarah and incredible voice. Like think Beth Morales. Okay. Just like, <laughs> I mean, George, she sounds like Jordan Sparks and then she sounds like Evanescence. <laughs> and then she was always helping the teen girls and she was pure when she got married and everyone's like, what happened? Right. You know, what happened? So I had gone off to college, gotten, gotten radically saved, come back to Gallup right when Sarah was returning and I remember, I mean, we were friends and she didn't say a bad word about her husband at the time because she was still believing God that maybe he would lock into church or get saved. And then when all the stuff hit the fan, I just remember Sarah stayed faithful and she never missed a beat in services. I mean, she's a brand new mom. She's having to work full time at not the greatest job because she was just getting the first job that she could. We moved in together, but what's crazy is I didn't even realize all that you were going through because you looked, I mean, I did know what you were going through because we would talk and have longer conversations. I definitely saw a lot of tears, but 
as far as church and ministry, like she did not miss a beat. We hosted a Bible study at her house. She's a brand new mom pumping and reading stories to her daughter in the morning, leaving her all day. And then very involved in ministry still. And just to me, it's incredible because the emotions already when you're huge right after a baby and your hormones tank. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, just all the other things that you were going through. It was inspiring. It was insane to watch. I had all the faith in the world. Like I'm like, Sarah, I mean, someone's going to pick up this girl in like five seconds. She's beautiful. She can (laughs) sing. (laughs) She is a lot of fun. You, I remember you telling me like, I don't, I think I maybe have a drop of faith left. Like I don't have faith. Yes. Yes. Um, I do remember thinking, well, like I, like I said, I do remember thinking that I didn't want my daughter to have like a negative influence. So I just thought, okay, um, my dad's the one, he's going to be the one that's going to show her that, that there are good marriages because nobody's coming for me. I, I, you know, it, it's funny to hear you talk, Melissa, you would think that I was like really amazing, but <laughs> from this side, it, it just was like, I, I must not be wanted because he, if I was, if I was desirable in any way, he would have wanted me and he didn't. And even though people will tell you, you know, oh no, you're so pretty, you're this, but the kind of damage that that does to a girl when, when you're married and, and he chooses someone else several times, it's, it just didn't go away. And so uh, while I appreciated all the compliments from other people and stuff like that, I kind of, it just bounced off. I, I didn't believe it. And so God did a lot of healing during that time. But I do remember my roommate, Melissa, had faith for me when I didn't. I remember thinking, talking to her and just thinking, she she believes God has something for me. She believes that I don't, but I want to. I want to believe that, but I, I really don't. I just feel like, you know, God is, God is who he is, so I'm going to keep serving him, and I'm going to keep doing what I know to do. But do I believe this is coming? No, not really. But Melissa does. So... You know, it's just, I, I do remember thinking she, she believes this and I don't really, but I, I'm thankful that someone believes. And Melissa, you were a huge blessing to my life because she would just speak faith consistently all the time. I would, I would express, you know, just, I didn't want God to be mad at me for the, for the, for the unbelief that was coming out of my mouth. So I tried to like kind of downplay exactly how I was feeling, but Melissa, no matter what she, what I said, she just would speak faith. She'd be like, no, Sarah, no, God has something for you. He is not going to leave you like this. God is going to help you. And I remember, I just remember thinking, I hope that I have faith like this for someone someday, because she was such a huge blessing to my life during that time. I just remember like kind of almost holding on to her faith instead Mm -hmm. of my own. And it was, it was a huge blessing for me. Huge, huge blessing. She was, she was, Melissa means the world to me. She was, she was there when I needed a friend and she just spoke faith. Okay, stop. Just, she was also Elena's best friend. Oh. Like Elena, Elena would catapult out of her crib to go jump on Melissa in her bed. And like, and she just, she loved Melissa. Melissa was her favorite, favorite person. She called ever. me Lala. Oh, that is so <laughs> sweet. Yes, 
she was she was Elena's favorite person, and so even though she wasn't a father figure, she was absolutely like an auntie figure, which was also very important to me because at that time, that was that was the auntie that she had. My mm-hmm. um, my sister went to heaven when she was sixteen, and so she didn't really have any aunties on my side except for Melissa, and I she claims her to this day. I remember talking to you at the night of nights, which was this little thing they did in Gallup for, for girls, like where they would dress up almost like prom, Mm -hmm. but it was all girls and they would have like a banquet and they would talk about purity. And I remember Sarah was singing at it. And I remember in the back, you just being like, this is so hard for me to be here because I did do it right. And look at the disaster I'm in. And we made a list and I said, I don't even care if it seems so absolutely out of this world, ridiculously impossible for it to happen, I want you to make a list of every single thing if you can make your dream guy. Oh, I'm emotional. I feel like I'm going to cry because I, I kind of feel like I know where this is going. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Do we still have this list? <laughs> Seriously. That would be awesome. I, you know what? I wish I still had the list, but I do remember... Okay, so eventually Melissa's faith. Stop <laughs> saying that, Sarah. Melissa's faith of fire <laughs> drenched my soul. In we were coming up to a fellowship fest. Remember, I remember her saying, "Write down. Let's write down what we would want in a guy." And I remember thinking, "Oh, brother, this is never gonna happen." But she was like, she just kept saying, "Just write it down. Write it down." And I do remember about that same time, Pastor Payne was preaching a lot about praying very specifically. And that if it mattered to God, that it mattered. I mean, if it mattered to me, that it mattered to God. And I kept thinking, why? Who am I? Who cares? But I believed Melissa enough and Pastor Payne enough to at least write this list. But I almost felt like it was a joke. I, mm-hmm. I did. Like, I remember writing it down. And I wrote down some things. Um, I wrote down that I wanted him to be a godly man. I, wa- I prayed that he would want to be a father this this one was probably at the very top of the list next to godly is that i wanted him to want to be elena's father i wanted i was looking for a daddy not a stepdaddy and i wanted him to be good with finances i wanted him to have a burden for the lost and then (laughs) on the bottom i wrote down just my cherry on top it just said it would be really cool if he was light-skinned with dark eyes and dark hair because I just think that's attractive. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I kind of felt so stupid even writing it because it was like, that's so shallow, Sarah. It's just, no. And so, I don't know. I just felt like very foolish. However. And I remember you saying that you wanted her to have a father by the time she was three. Yes, that's, I, that is why I didn't want her to grow up in the rejection of her dad leaving for very long. I wanted, by the time she understood it, I wanted someone in the picture. And I was thinking that most people start remembering things by the time they're four pretty clearly. And so I wanted her to have him in her life before she was four. So five night was my thought. And it just seemed impossible because I was supposed to wait a year after my divorce was final and the divorce was taking forever. It was taking so long. And I remember thinking, I'm never going to make it. If I make it, it's going to be, it's going to be like another rush, rush thing. And it's going to be terrible. And there's, there was me speaking faith again, but Melissa, (laughs) Melissa kept 
kept saying, no, God can do this. No, God can do this. And so tell us a little bit about the waiting period. All I can say is listen to your pastor. He has wisdom. Even when you think your head is on straight, it's not, it's just not. And so I was waiting the, the year after my divorce was final. But during that time, the people that I was considering, one of them turned into a felon. One of them was illegal and, and has now backslidden and, and gone completely downhill. And, and he came to person, her knee. Um, I was on my age and easily could have been my father. <laughs> so really listen to your pastor. He, he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> I know you're painting a different picture, but here's the thing. Sarah is beautiful, and there was a lot of people who were like, hmm, hmm, maybe Sarah, and then she had this cute little baby, and and she was determined to heal, but you kind of think you're, you're more okay than you are. Is that fair? Yes, absolutely. And I think even, you can even convince other people that, you, that you're, you're good. You're, you mm-hmm. understand, you have clarity, but... In hindsight, I didn't. I didn't have clarity. It was it was very muddled. And as I as I look back, I'm so thankful that that rule was in place because it protected me from what would have been another disaster. Yeah. A year after your divorce was official, I'm thinking right around that time is when my dad left, right, and moved to Australia. Yes. Tell us about that. Pastoral change is always a struggle, just because. It just is. But when Pastor Payne left, especially, I, I had a hard time just because he had walked me through so much. And it was like, you know, I did, it just was nerve-wracking. So we, we had a Pastor Glenn Clark actually for seven months, but then called back to Guam. So it was it was another change when Pastor Bob and Susan Mammon came in. Um, and I didn't really know them. So I didn't, it's hard to, to after you kind of spilled all of your guts to one pastor to like do it right away with the next one and and it is important you know we need to we need to accept the person that God has called to where we are I was kind of cautious doing it I had been talking to Susan and she (laughs) she's funny she she just said so are you interested in getting married again and I kind of again it was I was sort of incredulous well I would be but that's probably not gonna happen kind of Feeling again, I don't know. I just, the the mark kind of rears its head. Everyone's every every time you think about it, you have to really fight it. Or I did at least. I have to really fight the the feeling of being marked because I was divorced. Even though I knew that I had grounds and all of that, it just would keep popping up. And so when she suggested it, I kind of it, again was like, well, I said I would, but I really want whoever it is to know all of my baggage. I want to know that I'm divorced. I want to know that I have a child and I know this can't be a surprise. I want them to know before they even start getting into it. And so she said, there's a guy in Rochester that I've been trying to hook up for about 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, wow, if it's that hard, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I'm like, well, what's wrong with him? She goes, nothing. He's so picky. And I think that he's probably not even going to listen to me anymore. But she goes, I just think I think you, after all the wrong guesses, I think you are what he's looking for. <laughs> and I kind of was like, okay, whatever. So I, I dismissed it, especially because she said he, she wasn't even sure that he was going to listen to her anymore. So I was like, this is so far-fetched. So I didn't really think anything of it. I thought nothing about it until, I, I want to say that was the end of March. And the first week of April, I got this email. 
from this guy and he just found it fun. He was sarcastic, like he seemed intelligent, he seemed just fun. But it was it was not too heavy or scary at the beginning. He just I, I hadn't at this point I hadn't even seen a picture of him. I was asking Susan for a picture and she just kept saying that she didn't have one and that she would keep looking. And so I emailed him a couple of times back and forth. And at this point again I was very much more interested on his in his inside than his outside anyway. I just wanted to, you know, know who I was talking to. And so we had emailed probably for like, I don't know, a couple of weeks when I finally was like, Can I see a picture of you? And he was like, Sure. Well, <laughs> he's one of six and he didn't send me a picture of just himself. He sent me a picture of his entire family. So there were at least two of the people in that photo that it could have been and I still didn't know who I was talking to. But one of them had light hair and light eyes, and the other one had fair skin, dark hair and dark eyes, which is exactly what I prayed for. And so I, I was like, Jesus, please let it be this one. <laughs> but I wasn't sure. <laughs> oh my gosh, I forgot he did that. So, yeah, and he didn't even, I asked him, and he didn't even clarify really. He kind of just let it, let it ride and didn't say anything. <laughs> would be like 11 here in Rochester 
And so he was he was calling me every night at eleven for a guy. He was and then he get he was getting up at five to go to prayer before he'd be to work at seven. So after a few months of this, we were like, we gotta do something different. So this is this is like really hard. So he came to Gallup in July of two thousand ten. That was the first time we met in person. And he stayed with Pastor Mammon and Susan. Elena at this point is three. And she was calling him my match. She would say, are we going to go see my match? It was cute. He was really good with her right away. He was really good with her. Like, he was firm, which was nice because mm. it was it was just nice to have a little backup. One that really got me thinking that God's hand really was all over this is he said, I know you have a little girl, and I, I just wanted to let you know I have a soft spot for her because... My mom had me before she was saved, and my dad adopted me, and I'd never known any other dad beside him. He just stepped in and dad that I needed, and I, oh my gosh, is this even possible? Like, he, he was he was not just willing to do it, but, like, had a heart for her already because of his situation, and I, I remember thinking, God, this is so perfect. I, I don't, it just seems perfect. Is this, is this what you have? And it was all the way just confirmation such a different it felt completely different every there was no nerves that i mean there was there was a little bit of like oh wow this is new i'm a little bit scared and kind of thing but it wasn't it wasn't anything like the torment that i had been going through with my first one completely different and so to find out that that he not only wanted to wanted this job but like had a soft spot for this because he'd been through it himself was was just a huge thing for me my birthday was in November, and he was supposed to come in on my birthday. I had kind of a sneaking suspicion that maybe he was getting ready to propose, but not. I kept thinking, this is pretty fast, so we'll see. But he was supposed to come in on my birthday, and the 11th, the day before my birthday, was a Wednesday night. And <laughs> I remember um, I was sitting in church. And apparently his flight had got delayed. He was supposed to actually come in the day before my birthday. And he was gonna his plan was to come surprise me at work. But his flight was delayed, so he didn't get into Gallup until the middle of Wednesday night service. And what he did is he snuck into the back. I didn't know he was there. And Susan Mammon, my pastor's wife, called me to the back with another lady in the church and she goes, Come here, come here, I want to talk to you. So in the middle of service, I was kind of like, well, she's the pastor's wife, so I'm going to go with her. I don't know. We're missing the sermon. (laughs) So I followed her to the back, and she goes, we have a surprise for you. She said, we know it's your birthday tomorrow, and so we just, we have a surprise for you. And I was thinking, okay, right in the middle of church, we're going to do this now? But again, she's my pastor's wife, so I didn't really question. But she said, okay, I want you to close your eyes. So I, co- I covered my eyes, and she led me into this room, and I could smell candles. And I was like, my first thought was, oh, how cute, they got me a birthday cake. But again, this is weird, right in the middle of service. <laughs> um, and so all of a sudden, I was like, you know how like you feel the presence? I had my eyes closed, but I remember I was like, somebody else is in here. And I then I got a little bit scared. And so I opened my eyes, and she had decorated the room. She had her decorated or not had had her decorate the room with white Christmas lights and tool and like it was all beautiful set up. There was a chair and all these pretty candles and there he was in his suit um, on his knees already on one knee 
and he just said, he there, will you marry me? And I, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this is surreal. I didn't even answer right away. <laughs> I wasn't expecting him, but it was very romantic. It was very sweet. And of course I said yes right away. And then I had to walk back into service with my big ring and every court would pass around and he's trying to preach it. And there's like 10 people like, that makes like, like, like mouthing to me across the room. And I'm like, <laughs> I wanted like I said I wanted her to have a dad not a stepdad and so I just started calling him dad she picked up on it right away and she'd be like she would call him dad too and that was from even before we got married by the time that Matt proposed to me even though it had only been a short time of, of us getting to know each other I was certain I was absolutely sure beyond a shot of a doubt that this is the guy I wanted to spend my life with there was no guessing there was no what if he backslides kind of terror in my mind at all not only for me but for my daughter and so there was no hesitation I felt like he he was also more in it his mind was also he it wasn't a spur of the moment decision it was very calculated he was ready to really do this and so if that took away some of the fear of him regretting the decision or or whatever that kind of I felt like happened the first time and that my, I, I also was so good feeling to know that my daughter was going to be part of this. It wasn't, it wasn't just me getting married. It was almost like we are joining a family now. Now we're, we're completing our family. My wedding day, I just felt so happy. It was, it was by far the happiest day of my life other than the day that I gave my heart to Jesus. It was, it was such a blessing. I had Melissa there. My family was there, and I could leave this time, again, leaving more than a thousand miles, but this time with no fear, no anxiety, a little bit of nervousness, excited nervousness, but not, not, no fear at all. It was, it was peace, and it was, it was joy, and I, ten years later, I can say, this guy is by far the best decision I've ever made, except for Jesus, and I tell him that all the time, and he tells me it the same thing that you're you're the best thing that's ever happened outside of my salvation oh that's so <laughs> sweet and how many children do you guys have now well we we claim he claims elena as his own and so we have three now um elena is now 14 and um i have a six-year-old little firecracker named adria and then i have an 18 month old son named Kason keeps us very busy if there's someone out there who is in your shoes and for whatever reason they find themselves in that situation what would you what do you say to them they're thinking there's no hope they're thinking they're struggling with condemnation what do you say to someone god is the god of second chances i remember pastor Payne saying you can look at your life and say god i know i messed up plan a but i'll take plan b if there is one because there is God, God is not done with us when we mess up. And even though the decision, I, I strongly feel that the decision that I made was was largely my fault. There are, I know there are also girls out there where it's maybe not their fault that the guy has just decided to go his way for whatever reason and you feel condemned and, and marked. And God doesn't see you the way that you see. I think that was one of the hardest things that I had to realize is that I felt marked, but God saw me still as his child hang on to Jesus. Don't don't be tempted to do the same thing that he did or what is doing 
to get even because it, it, it just that is a temptation I struggled with that too but no matter what bury yourself into Jesus bury yourself in in the things of God in the church and just see what God will do he is so good and more times than not in my life he has so pleasantly surprised me and filled me with joy things that I wasn't expecting he has stuff for you he still has joys for you whatever hurts you may have faced there's joy still for you if you will cling to Jesus and that's the that's the best advice I can give is just know that God cares for you still he's not done 